0: Uh, I didn't know you guys were going to do that song, but it's actually quite fitting for my opening illustration because, you know, ministry is is more of a marathon than a sprint. Now, you've heard that about a lot of things, I'm sure. But part of me wishes it was a sprint. Uh, you gather up the information that you need, and then you run a short race, and it's over with. Uh, but distance running, like ministry, takes... A lot more work. It takes a lot more time. And all of us are ministers in some capacity. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about the power of God's word in a way that we can, I think, easily miss. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, he says to that congregation, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. When Paul said this, that that they were able to instruct one another, he he's saying that they that they were powerful to instruct one another. They had the ability, but even more so, they had the power. They had everything they needed to, to work in one another's lives with the truth of God. Paul says these uh people in Rome were 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 powerful to instruct one another. To to instruct one another is is to teach, it's to encourage, it's to challenge, it's to equip, to counsel. But it's more than that. It, it, it's doing all these things. From the Word of God, from the Bible, with the authority of the Word of God. It's not just giving good advice, but it's communicating the truth of God as recorded in the Word of God. It is speaking God's Word into particular situations and circumstances. The power in the words is in the power of the Word. Well, that being said, Paul in his conclusion is showing Timothy the joys and the challenges of ministry. At first, Paul tells us that ministry is relationally difficult, it's relationally hard. Verse 10 Demas. In love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. People who we trust and grow with will sometimes abandon us. Demas is mentioned in Philemon, he's mentioned in Colossians as a faithful worker. He's not a nobody. He was obviously close to Paul, because he's mentioned in in three points in, in Paul's letters. And yet, his love for the present world outweighed his love for Christ. Now, we don't know if Demas was ever restored. And we don't know specifically what it was that took Demas away. All it says is that his love of the present world outweighed his love for Christ in that moment and I reckon that issue of love of the present world is the most detrimental to people. It has the most devastating consequences. Well, what does he mean by world? He's referring to the ways of of culture and society that oppose the Lord. What does the world offer you that, that opposes the Lord? Materialism? Desire for instant gratification, anything me-centric, and on and on and on. Paul says in Ephesians that these things once ruled our passions, but are now defeated in Christ. Uh, No longer our ruler, the the world still appeals to that remaining sin in us. And, And so we must maintain our guard lest we fall back into bondage. And Demas gives us an example of falling back into bondage, or possibly someone who never had Christ, but only the appearance. It's hard to say. But you see the devastating consequences that this has had on Paul. I think about the people that I've grown up with. Many of them made a profession of faith at some point in their life, they have Christian parents. They went to Christian schools. They went to church. But if you were to look at them today, you would say, they too, in love with this present world, have fled to Thessalonica. And it's heartbreaking. And I pray for these people that they would be restored. Then Paul gives an example of of how, uh, another example of how. Uh, ministry is relationally difficult. Verse 10. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Why can't Paul have friends with real names? Um, <clears throat> here, here are two faithful workers who are doing the work of ministry, but they're in, in different parts of the world. They've, they've gone. They've gone to different places. Sometimes ministry takes us away from people that we love. And Lindsay and I can very much relate to this. You move away to a place that is very near and dear to you. You make friends. Um, you take part in their lives. You're, you're part of marriages and, and, and children and deaths and, and really important parts of... And moments of people's lives, and then you are uprooted again. And those relationships don't end, but there is a, a sense of missing these people in our lives. There are many who we miss terribly back in Sydney. In fact, even three or four couples have gotten engaged or married just in the last few months, and we can't visit them, and that makes us sad. But we know the work that God has for us here. And we know the work that he has for them there. And so we rejoice in knowing that one day we will be reunited again. Reunited again. But relationally, it's difficult to be away from people that we love. Then verse 14... Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. The reality is that there is falling away and pain caused from those on the inside, but also those on the outside. Alexander the coppersmith. We don't really know much about Alexander, It's a common name. There's another Alexander mentioned previously in in 2 Timothy, uh, but I think this is a different person. Likely this is the informant uh, who ratted out on Paul and had him arrested. So Timothy has to be on guard against him because he's traveling the same route that Paul went, and this guy could have Timothy and Mark thrown in prison as well. And so sometimes there are great external uh, uh, obstacles in our ministry. And and that only further complicates our relationships. We had a man in our congregation, again in Australia, who, who he came to church every week. Uh, he was in a Bible study. Uh, and we wanted him there. We wanted him to hear the gospel. We wanted him to... to, to be moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We we wanted to see him grow in grace. We wanted to see fruit. But week after week after week, he became more and more and more problematic. He would lie to me about something our senior minister had said or done. Uh, He would go around the congregation spreading false rumors. And when he was confronted, he would just tell more lies to us. And it was very sad. And he started pursuing really unhealthy relationships in the church, and we finally had to ask him to no longer be with us. And it was terrible. You don't want to do that, but but there's also a need uh, a, a need for an awareness of how damaging people can be to the work of ministry. Then, in verse 16, Paul says, "At my first defense." No one came to stand by me. All deserted me. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like. Here is the man who has brought the gospel to these people. He's brought them the message of salvation and hope and transformation in their lives. And not one came to stand by him. It, you know earlier in the series we were talking about how paul is showing timothy uh, what to model, how to model this life and and it really he's just showing him how to grow in christ likeness well here's an example of christ likeness right this is exactly what jesus went through abandoned by the very people he came to save and i think it's interesting to note we'll look at this again in a, in a little bit but it's interesting to note the meditation that paul has on scripture and especially in light of his imminent death that's coming. Because if you compare verses 16 to 18 to Psalm 22, there are so many striking similarities between the two passages. Uh, This being the passage that Jesus was focused on at his death as well. And so we see in verse 16, it says, All deserted me. Psalm 22, verse 1, Why have you forsaken me? Again, verse 16, no one came to stand by me. Psalm 22, verse 11, there was none to help. Verse 17, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Psalm 22, verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. Verse 17 again, and all the Gentiles might hear it. Psalm 22, 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Verse 18, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Psalm twenty two twenty eight. kingship belongs to the Lord. What a testament to how tightly Paul was holding to the word of God, to the scriptures, uh, even in those dark and lonely days, maybe especially in those dark and lonely days. The word of God never lets us down. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But again, consider this lonely feeling, this this loneliness that Paul is going through at this moment. In, In ministry, there can be moments that feel like this. And it's not a testament that you have done something wrong. It is a testament that ministry can be relationally difficult. But on the other end of this, there are great blessings in ministry. In verse 11, Paul says... Luke alone is with me. Luke is there with Paul. Now, I don't think it's supposed to sound like only Luke is here. I'd rather have anyone else but Luke. Can someone come and help? <laughs> it's Luke. It's, it's, Luke was his physician. He was his great friend, his, his, his ministry traveling partner. And we know from, from earlier parts of 2 of Timothy, Onesiphorus is, is, is visiting Paul quite often. So he's got visitors. There are people that are coming. Verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. John Mark, the young man who abandoned Paul in his missionary journey, And and not only that, but he caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes relationships are repaired and restored. Praise God that Mark spent time with Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. And and Mark spends time with Peter, who, who had let down the Lord Jesus Christ and had to be restored by Jesus. Because Mark went from a missionary dropout to the man who would go on to write a gospel account. And a man who Paul would say is very useful. What a great lesson on on how people can be restored. People who let you down can still be your friends. Friends there's a great lesson on forgiveness in the account of Mark's journey. But what a great joy for both Paul and Mark to have that relationship, to to be called useful by the Apostle Paul essentially on his deathbed. Ministry is relationally hard. Ministry is also a blessing relationally. Thirdly, Jesus never intended the enjoyment of his presence to replace the enjoyment of others. In other words, just because we have Jesus does not mean that we are then to be on our own. Christ always intended your friendships With him, your friendship with him, to be the centerpiece of your friendships with others. And if you were at the marriage conference, the same thing for marriage. Verse 17. Verse 17 again. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me when no one else did. Now, if he stops with uh, 16... And in and, 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 and the first half of, of 17, you might think he was saying, humans fail you, but I have Jesus, and I don't need anyone else. But that is not what Paul is saying. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. He wants Timothy to be with him. He's longing for the friendship. Uh, Paul does this a lot. In Romans, uh, I longed for many years to come to you. Uh, Philippians, uh, I love and long for you, my joy and my crown. Thessalonians, uh, I'm being affectionately desirous of you, ready to share with you not only the gospel, but my own soul. Humans are fickle friends. And Paul cherished them. He longed for those imperfect friendships. So Jesus never intended that the enjoyment of his presence would replace the Christ-centered enjoyment of other Christians' presence. He died to create Christ-exalting friendships, which means he died to create the church. Don't feel you have to choose between the supreme delight that you have in Jesus and the pleasure of Christian friends. Nevertheless, Jesus is the only totally reliable friend for sinners, the only all-satisfying friend, the only friend who can make other friendships eternal. Verse 17 and 18, again, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As much as you love your earthly friends and your earthly family, they cannot do this for you. They cannot do verse 18. They cannot rescue you from the evil deeds and bring you safely to the heavenly kingdom. Only one friend can do that. And Demas walked away from him. It is tragic when people have been let down by believers and in response they abandon the one friend who will never let them down. People have a bad experience in the church and so they make assumptions that Jesus must be like these people and they walk away from the one who will supply all of their needs There was a quote from Gandhi I remember reading years back, and it was something like this. I like your Jesus. It's his followers I have a problem with. And there's truth to that. But you see, that's why we point to Jesus, and we don't say, be like me, come to me. We say, go to him. (laughs) He's the one that we're trying to be more and more like. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Grow in Christ-likeness. You're not perfect. That's the first thing people need to know. We're not perfect, but we follow one who is. And he's working in us, and he's refining us, and he's making it so that our friendships can be better and stronger because they're not unified in commonalities apart from the commonality we have in our shared faith in Christ Jesus. Don't hate him because you don't like his people. When your friends fail you in ministry, what should we do? We should, we should go to Christ. You go to Christ. You go to Christ and you get the resources that you need and you get filled up and you go to your friends and you forgive them. Don't let them drive you away from him. Now I want to say a word about verse 13. It sort of sticks out. A little bit, I think, and it sounds odd here. I, I, I reckon. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Now, a few verses before we were reading, I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, I have kept the faith. By the way, these people say hello. Avoid this guy. Bring my coat and my books. Sincerely, Paul. It seems like such a strange ending, right? Though it's typical of of Paul and letters of that day to put the personal instructions at the end. And to be honest, I'm very grateful for this because it brings us back to the reality of daily life. After we have soared into the beauty of the, the theology of this letter... We get this gritty dose of of real life. And I find it so helpful. Oh, ministry is hard. Uh, We need coats when it's cold outside. Uh, We need people to keep us company when we are lonely. And for Paul, he wants his scriptures and his, his notes with him even till the end. He's not thinking, you know, I'm going to see Jesus. Forget about all the work I've done. Uh, Forget about all the people I've worked with. No, he's thinking about the future of the church. He's going to have three men with him soon who will have a massive impact on the gospel. Timothy, Luke, and Mark. Between the four of them, that's more than half of the New Testament written Ministry has great challenges and great joys. Now, a word as we conclude on this series. In this gospel, we have the word of life. It is the good news that God has provided a way of eternal salvation for man. If man would submit himself to to God, through the Son, Jesus Christ. And this gospel is under attack from the inside, the Christian community, from outside, from the devil, from the world. And Paul is entrusting it to a weak, fragile, scared, easily upset tummy kid. And yet he knows the power that comes from on high. That can take a weak, fearful, fragile, skittish kid and use him for glorious things. And so Paul tells his young disciple, Timothy, guard the deposit. Guard it because it is a priceless treasure. Suffer for it because it is a stumbling block to the proud. Continue in it because it is the truth of God. And proclaim it because it is the good news of salvation. And Timothy is called to be faithful in his generation. And then he would hand it on to to similar types. Just as it has been handed on to you and to me, a weak, fearful, easily upset stomach kid. But the truth is, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able... To guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul finishes his letter to Timothy by saying this. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. That's in the singular. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. Grace be with you, plural. Grace be with all of you. Grace be with all of you. The church in Ephesus, the grace be with all of you. The the church of the apostles in 2020, grace be with all of you. Grace is what sustains us through the challenges. Grace is what transforms us and the way that we view our relationships. Grace is what we did not deserve Grace is what Christ offers us. Grace is what will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, there's so much uh, in words that can easily be sort of skimmed over. But we hear the, the pain in Paul's voice at... The breakdown of relationships for those that have deserted because they have fallen away. They have chosen other things. The breakdown of just distance between people. The longing to see brothers and sisters in Christ. The joys of having even one with us. And we know that you are triune, that you are eternally in relationship with yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we know that you have created us not to live as hermits on mountaintops, but you have created us to live in communities. You've created us to live in relationship with one another. And the beautiful thing is that you have given us grace so that we're not just broken vessels running around into other broken vessels, but there's grace in us. There's restoration in us. There's healing that you have given to us. And that that grace would pour so overflowingly into us that it would dictate our relationships with others. That it would be that driving force behind us. It would be the driving force that that drives us into your word and drives us into a greater understanding of who you are. And a greater understanding of who we are in our brokenness. But in the calling that you have given us. In the multi-generationalness of your word. And so, Father, today we pray for grace. We pray for grace for each and every one of us. That it would continue to be the, the, the fire in the engine that helps us to grow in that Christ-likeness that we desire, that even the desire is there because of you. So, Father, as we consider our place where you have situated us, would you give us eyes to see what it is that you've called us to? That, yes, relationships are hard but when they're when we're supplied by grace they are great blessings so father help us to run the race help us to fight the fight help us to keep the faith for we pray this in Christ's name amen